You're listening to the K Friends Community Church Podcast recorded April 20th, 2015. I'm kind of a big deal. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. So glad you are joining us. We are continuing on in the book of Acts. We started Acts back in January and now we have reached Acts chapter 8. Remember last week we looked at the stoning of Stephen and the stoning of Stephen is a launching point for the church. The church begins to face persecution at the hands of a guy named Saul who later becomes Paul but right now he's Saul and the church is scattered and they're going to Judea and Samaria. Now, if you remember in the very beginning of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, that you will be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know if they imagined that this would be the way that they would get to Judea and Samaria, that it would be a result of them being forced out of their homes, forced out of their homeland, forced out of Jerusalem, and fleeing, but this is how the gospel is spread. This is how the work of God continues on. And so we're, we're, we're diving into this journey in Acts chapter 8, starting verse 4. What happens when the people of God are spread and they journey into Judea and Samaria? Now today our story, um, there are, there's this parallel that happens in the story. There's these two events that happen and they parallel each other in this story. And I want us to see it. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. It says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now, we might re- recognize Samaria from other stories in Scripture. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Jesus also tells a parable about a man who is beaten up and left half dead, and the people who you would expect would help him walk on the other side, avoid him, and it's a Samaritan who helps him. Now, this would have been groundbreaking this would have this would have stimulated the mind this would have stimulated the hearts of the hearers who heard these stories of Jesus interacting with with a Samaritan woman or Jesus telling a story about a Samaritan who helps somebody out who's hurting and broken and pays um, for their medical expenses because the people of God much despised and had a cultural bias against the Samaritans because they were viewed as half-Jews. They had intermarried. They weren't pure in bloodline. They weren't allowed to worship in the temples. And so this is the place where Jesus says that they are going to go. And Philip goes down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaims the Messiah there, and crowds are drawn to Philip, and they, they see what he's doing. That, that impure spirits are coming out of people, and people are healed who were paralyzed, and the lame are healed. And then it gives us this detail that there was great joy in the city. So as a result of Philip's presence and what he's doing, there's this great joy that it's not just the lives of individuals that are changing, but it's the whole community that is experiencing this revival, if you will, that they're experiencing something new, something fresh, that it's exciting, and there's joy in the city. 
Let's go on to verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip wherever or sorry, followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon, he's this popular guy in the community because of what he did, and he also wasn't afraid to tell you that he was popular. It's like in, in the words of the famous San Diego newscaster Ron Burgundy, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. People who were rich, people who were poor, they believed in him. They saw what Simon can do. They've heard the stories about Simon, and Simon wasn't afraid to tell them about what he can do and that he was an important guy. And as a result, people are coming to faith in Jesus um, through Philip. And people are being repenting and, and being baptized. And Simon, out of all the people in this community, Simon was also one of the people who repented and believed and was baptized and then it gives us this detail that Simon he was so amazed at Philip's power he started to follow him everywhere he's he just he can't get enough of Philip and he, and he wants to know more and he's following Philip everywhere let's continue on in verse 14 when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God they sent Peter and John to Samaria when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now something interesting happens in this passage. They believe in Jesus, they're baptized, but it says that they had not received the Holy Spirit. And so word gets out that there's this revival breaking out in Samaria. And so they send word, and they send Peter and John to Samaria. And, and it says they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. And we see in Acts that, that it happens in different ways. In the beginning of Acts, in Acts 2.38, we see that the people are called to repent and be baptized, and they will receive the Holy Spirit. And it seems like it happens simultaneously. And so we're look, I'm, I was looking at this passage all week, and I was trying to figure out why is it different? Why are they, they repent, they're baptized, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit? And all week I was looking at it from the perspective of the Samaritans. Why aren't the Samaritans receiving the Holy Spirit? And then I came across this commentator who um, commentated about it, this, this text, and pointed out that maybe... The Holy Spirit coming on the Samaritans was not just about the Samaritans. Remember, there's this cultural bias that exists between Israel and the Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans. And so Peter and John, who are very much in this Jewish bloodline, grew up with those um, that cultural bias against the Samaritans. And so they're sent up to Samaria to see what's going on, and they see that people are repenting. And so it says that they prayed over them, they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
Now, maybe, maybe the reason why God doesn't give the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans right then and there when they repent and they're baptized is because Peter and John needed to see the Samaritans in a new light. Maybe Peter and John needed to see the Samaritans as full-on brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what if they had repented, they had received the Holy Spirit, Peter and John um, don't see it, and they're like, okay, whatever. And maybe that cultural bias might still exist. Remember, they didn't, the Peter and John and these early believers didn't view themselves as like a new religion. They, they viewed themselves till, still closely tied to the Jewish faith. It's just been made complete through Jesus. And so now, uh, and so what God is doing, he's breaking down barriers. God is bringing healing and restoration between peoples who were once looked down upon. And so maybe the coming of the Holy Spirit for the Samaritans was not just for the Samaritans, of course it was for them, but Peter and John needed to experience it. They needed to see it so that they, they can break down their cultural barriers and not see them as half, half-breeds, but see them as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that one of the major themes we see, um, struggles we see throughout the the New Testament is different people groups with cult, different cultural biases and who can be in and who can be out and whether they're fully in or fully out. And so God, God knew that Peter and John and the other believers who were based in Jerusalem needed to see the Holy Spirit come upon the Samaritans to break down cultural barriers. Let's go on to verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So Simon, remember Simon, he, he, he practiced sorcery and people looked at Simon and, and they looked at him with favor because he told them so and, um, and they saw the power that he had. And so what he saw when he, he saw Philip and he was healing people and he was just amazed and he comes to faith in Jesus and he's following Philip, astonished by the power that he has. And then Peter and John roll up and the Holy Spirit descends on the Samaritans, right? The Holy Spirit, we talked about this at, uh, when we talked about Pentecost, right? That the that God used to dwell on Mount Sinai and the, and the people of God would come to the foot of the mountain to be in the presence of God. And then God, you know, they create this covenant. And God says, you are my people. I am your God. And God wants to dwell with his people. And so they create this tabernacle and, and they carry it with them. The people of God carry this tabernacle with them. And where, whenever they're traveling, they place the tabernacle right at the center of their camps. And it was this symbol that God dwells with them. His presence is with them. Well, eventually they have the ability to, to create something more permanent. And they build a temple. 
And and it, and it was the temple was right in the center of the city, and and the people would journey to the temple, and because this is where the presence of God dwelled. And then we have in the New Testament that that now the presence of God walks among us. It's Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, walking among us, and He dwells with us. But the prophets say that 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 God will dwell in the hearts of men. And so the Holy Spirit is God's presence dwelling within us. This is what happens to the Samaritans. And, and, and so Simon, he sees this happen, and he sees it from a perspective of, I want that power too. I want that ability to call upon the Holy Spirit to descend on people. And the way that Simon does it is he wants to buy it. He wants to purchase it. Now, what Simon used to do for a living would help him out financially. He was able to pay the bills. He would charge people for his services. And so Simon looks at this gift of the Holy Spirit as another power that he can, he can get for himself, that he can gain for himself um, so that he can use it for his financial gain. So he seeks to purchase this power to use it for himself. And Peter's response to Simon is really bold. Our NIV translation doesn't quite do it justice. Um, The the Greek literally says, to hell with you and your money. Those those words sting a little bit more, I think, right? They're a little, little harsher. To hell with you and your money. May it just perish, may it destruction to you and your money. And Peter points out that he can see Simon is full of bitterness and is captive to sin. You see, Simon sees faith as just another way to bolster himself. Now, I want us to see the parallel here going on. So the Jews viewed themselves the same way Simon views himself. The Jews held it over the heads of the Samaritans that they were the true righteous ones. You can't worship God in our temples. For the Jews, this was a way of elevating themselves above others, in this case, the Samaritans. This is what makes the story of the good Samaritan that Jesus tells so profound, right? So Simon holds his power over people, and he gains financially and has invested interest in maintaining his power. So get this. The same way that Peter and John needed to see the Holy Spirit come upon the Samaritans and see them as fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, is the same way that Simon needs to see the people in his community as fellow humans, not as potential customers of goods and services that he can offer for a profit. Have you ever been invited uh, into a pyramid scheme? Right. The problem with a pyramid scheme is what you have to do to gain financially to profit is you have to leverage your relationships. Right. You have to get the people you know, your friends, your family, to to purchase a goods or service. I remember when I was in college, my roommate got caught up in a pyramid scheme, and he was selling prepaid legal insurance. I don't know if that's even a real thing, but apparently somebody thought they could sell it. And so the way it worked was that he had to get a group of people to come to a meeting um, that another guy would lead. And so I'm walking across campus and my phone rings and I pick it up and it's a guy inviting me um, saying that 
your friend Thomas wants you to come. Thomas was my roommate. Wants you to come to a uh, meeting at his apartment uh, to find out about getting prepaid legal insurance. And the and the deal is, if you go and if you buy, then Thomas benefits, and then you could sell and and you, you get it right. It's a pyramid scheme. And so little did this guy know that I was like, I asked him, do you know who you're talking to? And, and he's like, yeah, you're a friend of Thomas's. I was like, well, I live there. And so I, I had this complete stranger calling me on the phone, inviting me to my own apartment <laughs> so I can buy prepaid legal insurance. Or maybe you know or have ever sold Cutco, right? I'm sure Cutco, it's, it's great knives, but... One of the ways in which you have to, you sell Cutco is you go to your friends and family, like they need sharp knives. And so you go and you try to make a profit off of your relationships. I once had a friend who had, um, was coming to church with me. He was serving on the worship team and uh, he and his wife were getting involved in the church and people just loved them. They were inviting them over to their house for dinner and they were growing close to a lot of people in the church. And, uh, Uh, One day I get a phone call from one of the church members saying that they had just received a call from uh, my friend trying to sell them Cutco. And I was like, oh, that's that's strange. And, And I later found out that he ended up going through the whole church directory trying to sell the whole church Cutco. And I was so hurt. I was so offended because I was like, no, this is my church family. We don't we don't seek to profit or to gain off of our relationships. That's not the way this works. That's not correct. But that's the way a pyramid scheme works. And that's the way that Simon viewed the people in his community, that they were opportunities for financial gain. So when this new thing comes into town, now that, that Philip is healing people and Peter and John come and the Holy Spirit descends on them, he looks at it from his own perspective as a way for him to make money it's a way for him to make money you see this is a problem and this is why that peter he speaks so harshly to simon to hell with you and your money because that is not the way things are supposed to be in the kingdom of god This is not the way we're supposed to view one another um, is to gain power so we can use it to manipulate others. You see, what happens when the church, or and when I say the church, I mean the people of God, not a building. When the people of God fail to see people as human and just as a resource or simply as sinners, then we will fail and we will cease to exist. Maybe you've heard the story of this large church in Southern California that was booming in the 70s and 80s. And it was a huge, um, so many people were coming, coming to faith. And, and as a result, this church was growing and exploding and built, getting bigger and bigger. And, and they started building big and beautiful, extravagant buildings. And in these buildings, they would put on huge large shows at Christmas and Easter and and the buildings were magnificent it was like a journey for it was like a pilgrimage for a lot of Christians to go and see just the the majesty and beauty of these buildings but something happened and 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 people started trickling out of the church and nothing no scandal or really anything like that but 
but it just became kind of old for them or whatever. Not as many people were coming and they started losing finances. You know, you, you don't have as many people, you don't have as much income coming in. And they had large debts. They had put on huge shows. They had buildings they had to pay off. And so for the longest time, this church was struggling, trying to figure out how do we, how do we grow? How do we, how do we get people to come into the doors? And I believe down, deep down, they really wanted people to come to faith. They really wanted people to come and know Jesus and, and, and know his peace and his grace and his mercy. But also underlying that, there was something else going on that they realized they needed people in order so that they can pay the bills. And so what happens when the church, when, when we have this motivation that not just we want people to come to know the Lord, but, but we also need them for their money, right? It, our, 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 our motives are impure. And this is, this is what's going on with Simon. This is why Peter and John, they're so harsh with him. Those, like, you to hell with you and your money. This is not the way it works. You see, something happens within us when we fail to see the people around us as human. You see, something was happening in the hearts of the people, of, of the Jews, of the people of God who looked down at the Samaritans. It does something within us. The same way that Simon's heart is hard towards the people around him. Maybe you remember a, a few years ago, uh, there was this debate here in the United States about how um, the United States treats um, people that they've taken prisoners of war that were suspected terrorists and how they interrogate them. And the problem was, is like, they were discussing, is this, is this the right way to interrogate somebody? Like, like, how far is too far? Like, how far can you go before, you're, um, before it's inhumane? And, and I'm sure, and there was lots of inhumane things already done. But the problem with this debate was it was very one-sided. It was from the perspective of, of what happens to the prisoner. And, and it's terrible what happens to the prisoner. And I think as, as Christians, and especially um, here in Friends, who we hold to a peace testimony, that's not the way we treat fellow human beings. But, but the problem was it was all about, is it right to do that to somebody? And, and that was the debate. But they're missing the other side. What does that do to the person doing the interrogating? What does that do to the heart of the person doing the interrogating? What happens within their soul? Do they begin to see the person that they're interrogating not as human but as other? You see, one of the reasons why the church has existed for centuries longer than empires and businesses because God is about renewing our humanity. See, empires seek to profit from humanity, but God seeks to renew it. And this is the tension we see throughout scriptures, the people of God being people of light and being part of God's renewal or being part of empire which seeks to profit and to gain power. And it's this tension we live in today. It's the question of where are our hearts? Where, where do we live in the midst of that tension, in the midst of empire? Are we about building ourselves up like Simon or are we about creating many empires? Or are we joining God in the renewal of all things? There's been a lot written lately about how the church is in decline here in the United States. Um, church used to be a cultural phenomenon. Like you could be drinking at the bar on Saturday night, but there was a good chance that you were in church 
on Sunday morning. It was a cultural thing to do. And what we've seen in the last 15, 20 years here in the United States is that church attendance is declining. There was a research done by Lifeway Group, and they were they were pulling Christians and non-Christians, and 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 they were they were pulling Christians and and something interesting. Eleven percent of Christians said that the church is useless. Among non-Christians, twenty-nine percent of them said the church is useless. And we look at those statistics and. and and we think, wow, like, what, what is our role here? What, 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 is, what is the mission of the church? That it doesn't seem like we, we have the numbers we used to have. And I know as a pastor, as a pastor of a church, you, you, you look at how many people are coming. And, there, and there's like this imaginary scorecard. In a few weeks, I'm going down to our pastor's retreat where I get to hang out and be encouraged, um, hang, hang out with other pastors and um. And something always happens when you're in these conversations with other pastors you see a few times a year. And there's this discussion that happens. And usually one of the questions that comes up, and I'm guessing you already know what it is, somebody will ask, well, well how big is your church? How many people do you have? Um, whenever I hear somebody give the, the number of their church, I always subtract 100. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, so, you know, so there's this idea like, are, are, are we about gaining a lot of people in our churches? Is that what we're hoping for? Are we trying to create little mini empires? Because I have to be honest with you this morning. I'm recording this in the morning, so I don't know. It might be evening if you're wherever you're listening to it. But I want to be honest with you that I have this desire. I want to see our church filled. I want to see the pews filled. I want to see... It overflowing. I want to see people downstairs. We have to pipe down the sermon and the music downstairs so they can participate. Like I would love it if our, our if the doors of our church were just busting open because there were so many people. I I have this desire, and I know it's the desire of a lot of pastors. They they want their churches to be filled, and it's because they want people to experience the grace and peace of Jesus. They want people to come to faith. But then I see kind of the way that God tends to work. I see the way that God tends to work in the places where God places me. God places me in situations where I have the opportunity to share renewal, and it turns out that those opportunities come much more often outside the doors of this church than inside. For example, just this week, I was having a conversation with, with a guy who was trying to debate, does he leave his job so that he could spend his well-paying job so he could spend more time with his family, so he could spend more time with his girls and be a husband to his wife? That that is, does he need to be, just be making money, or should he should he should he put that aside and, and take a job that makes less money so that he can be home with his kids? And I and I got to share with him and pray and encourage him and. And let him know that, man, it's, it's, it's great that you're thinking about this. It's great that, that this is on your radar. And, and I tried to encourage him, and I told him I'll pray for him, and, and I pray for him daily. Or maybe it's meeting in, the f- meeting in the hospital with the family who has the sick toddler, who's scared and they don't know what's wrong. Or it's praying with the girl whose boyfriend who just left her for another girl. 
Or maybe it's celebrating with the friend who just got a new job. Or it's hugging the grieving mother who lost her daughter to cancer. See, I find the way that God often works through, through me as a pastor, I, you know, I want it to happen here on Sunday mornings. I want it to happen in the church. I want it to happen. Um, I want God's word to be proclaimed, people to come to faith. But what I see is God seems like he wants me sent out. He wants me out there, and I have these opportunities to pray and be with people in the midst of everyday life. And this is where God calls his people to be. And so I find myself much like Simon, where I have this desire to want to wanna build like this mini empire. I want to build like this mini empire where people are, are coming. And, and I believe God might honor that. But God also places me in situations where work is being done, real, where ministry is happening. And that's not to say that God isn't going to bring more people to my church, maybe But God, he wants his work to go forth, not just in the walls of a building, not just in a little kingdom that people can build, but he wants us to go out. Are you there this morning? Do you find that there are certain things that you want to do? There, there are things that you, the way that you want God to work and you realize that when you, when you really examine your heart, when the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of you, you realize that those are your own desires. Maybe those are your desires for your own gain. And you realize maybe God is doing something different. And I want us, I want us as we come to the end of this passage, I want us to see Simon's response to Peter. I want us to see Simon's response to Peter. Get this. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. When I hear Simon's response, we have to remember who Simon is. He, he's a guy who's kind of a big deal. People know him. You went to Simon if, if you needed help. And now listen to the words of Simon. He's saying, pray to the Lord for me. All of a sudden, Simon, he doesn't have the ability. It's, he doesn't have the power. He is disarmed. Pray to the Lord for me so nothing you have said may happen to me. You see, for Peter and John, they needed to see the Samaritans as fellow believers. For Simon, he needed to lose his power. He needed to lose his influence. And he's to the point where he's asking, pray for me. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our American culture, we tell stories in a certain way. We tell stories... Um, there's this narrative that exists in a lot of the stories we tell. And it's usually about the lowly person, the, the person who's down and out, beating the odds, becoming great. And, and we celebrate these stories. You think of Disney, think of a Disney movie, a Disney 
fairy tale. It's about somebody who's down and out being elevated. But in this case, I believe Simon, I love the story of Simon because it's quite the opposite. It's a guy who has it all, who has power, who has influence. People know him. He's kind of a big deal. And at the end of this text, he's asking, pray for me. It's a sign that he can't do it himself. He's not powerful enough. Peter and John needed to see the Samaritans in a new light. Simon needed to see himself in a new light so he can see others around him in a new light, in a new way. See, the renewal that Simon experiences is the stripping of his power. The power and authority comes pressure. With power and authority comes pressure. And stress to figure out how do you keep it, how do you maintain it, how do you keep it going, how do you, how do you maintain your status. And so maybe this morning, maybe this morning you've been struggling trying to build your own little mini empires. You've been trying to elevate yourself. And in that process that you've, you've disregarded, you've taken advantage of people around you. Maybe this morning God is calling you to walk in a new light. To be renewed, to be restored. God wants to take that weight off your shoulder. He wants to take that weight and that pressure off your shoulder of being a big deal and being important. Simon, like Peter and John, needed to see things in a new light. Peter and John needed to see the Samaritans as people. Simon needed to see his fellow Samaritans, his fellow people as humans. And the only way that he can do that is he has to lower himself. He has to lower himself. He has to humble himself. So maybe today, maybe you're being asked to step off the pedestal. And it's amazing when we take, when we step off the pedestal and we allow God to work in our lives, the way we see things, that people are not just a resource that we can profit from, that these people are brothers and sisters. I think we in the church, we need to do this more and more. So we need to step off our pedestal and walk out the doors and be with people, minister to people right where they are. Simon finds himself a little more human. Peter and John have new brothers and sisters. Because God is about renewal, he's about restoration, he's about redeeming. And this is one of the themes we see as we go forth in the book of Acts. That God is sending people out on a mission. 
And in the midst of that mission, people are coming to know the Lord, but those people who are on the mission are also being transformed. So today, as you go about your day, may you know that you are on mission with God and that God is transforming you and God is transforming the people around you.